Hey everyone, Tim here. We've got an amazing interview today with a truly awesome candidate for city council. But before we get there, I want to turn everyone's attention to the county election in May again. District Attorney Mike Schmidt is up for re-election, and with the state getting ready to recriminalize certain drugs, it is more important than ever to support him. He's our best defense against many more people winding up in Multnomah County jails. Go to MikeSchmidtForDA.com to donate or volunteer for his campaign. Our next episode will feature an interview with the wonderful Shannon Singleton, who's running for county commissioner for North and Northeast Portland. She's sharp, empathetic, and has a long history in the trenches of social services. She's just what the county needs. And former Mayor Sam Adams just jumped in the race against her. Have a look at her website, shannonsingleton.org, and consider doing what you can to help her get elected. Finally, as you may know, Kip sits on the Portland Committee on Community-Engaged Policing. They have a town hall coming up to talk about Portland street response, and they're encouraging people to attend and help shape the recommendation PSEP makes to the mayor's office and city council. We'll post updates to our events page and Instagram. Police accountability is also at risk right now. So again, the more we participate, the more we speak our mind about what we want to support and what we want to see happen in the city and the county, the better. All right, on to the episode. Welcome to the Progress Portland podcast. I'm Tim Halber. I'm Kip Silverman. And we are graced by the presence of Candace Avalos running in District 1 for City Council. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. One of the things that struck me in looking at your website, the word advocate jumped out to me. Throughout your career, it seems like you've been advocating for people. Uh, maybe you could just kind of walk us through, like, why did you become an advocate? What does that mean to you? And tell us, uh, you know, a little more about your background. Great. Well, thank you again. I'm really excited to be a part of this historic moment to elect 12 new representatives to our council. And this is the exact time for an advocate like me to be able to come in and um, really move our city forward in the way that I think this form of government will and this increased representation will. Um, I'll give you a little background on myself. So yeah, um, please. I am originally from Virginia. I was born there. My family is um, both a Guatemalan immigrants. My mom came to this country with her mom and dad in the 1970s from Guatemala, and they settled in um, Washington, D.C. So I'm from like the Northern Virginia area. And then my dad is from Southern Virginia. He's African-American, descendant of slavery, and just living in kind of the Jim Crow era of the 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 South. And so those two um, experiences of my multiracial family really define my my justice values, um, just kind of the advocate spirit that I feel like I've acquired in my lifetime. And I'm just I was born into a family of people who um, just really believed in what America could create for us if we fought for it. Um, so I feel like that was instilled from a very young age and has followed me into this path. Um, you know, when I moved out to Portland, I came out to work at Portland State University. I was working with the student government there. I would say student government is a definitely a place that I found my voice as a young person. And I think that's where I learned how to combine like what I was feeling about my community and the changes that I wanted to see combined with an empowerment to use my voice to help make those changes come to fruition. And so I feel like I've just built on that and layered onto it so many different experiences from mentoring other young people into finding their voice and being advocates for change, especially at a school like PSU, which I think just generates a lot of really um, positive change agents in our community. And so I think that really shaped me in a way that helped me see beyond the campus boundary. Um, I think mm -hmm. that I really spent a lot of my time you know, on campus thinking that that was what I was advocating for, but I didn't realize until I got older how to make those connections with the ways that we can use those same tools, whether that's organizing tools, advocacy, just, you know, legislation and be, you know, diplomacy to be able to move things right in favor for our communities. And I started to see that translate into my city of Portland that um, is really 
I think, important to my growth um, as a young person, kind of coming here and really um, evolving into that person. And again, learning how to translate it into issues around the city. Um, and so I got involved. The first, my entryway into kind of the world of Portland politics was through police accountability, which uh, I know we're going to talk about and is a mm-hmm. whole world in itself. Um, but then uh, they just, I saw a lot of threads through that conversation that ultimately threads back to justice. And I have always worked in these various spaces, whether that be environmental justice, economic justice, racial justice, which is what brings me to my work at Verde now, where we really are at that intersection doing environmental justice work. And so I think all of that is to say that these experiences, these opportunities that I've had to show up for my community and push for a community where we can thrive, where we have access to our resources, where we truly have um, a justice-centered you know, uh, community is what ultimately brought me to running for city council. So that's a, war- a mouthful. But I do think that long journey, it's, you know, even me just like retelling it just reminds me the way that I've threaded that through my my young career into now. Sure. That's phenomenal. Um, Yeah. And and I do want to dive into the wonky things that I'm really passionate about. Charter reform, police accountability. Can you talk more about environmental justice and how that needs to be reflected in the new city council Hopefully you'll be representing District 1 in that piece of it. There have been different efforts to address some of these things over the last several years to various levels of success. And I'd really like to get your perspective on the work you've been doing recently, along with many other things, and how maybe you can translate that into representing a historically disadvantaged and under funded district. Absolutely. I think what's important to remember about environmental justice and, you know, as I mentioned, I work at Verde in my day job and um, our mission is to build environmental wealth in low income and people of color communities through grassroots organizing, advocacy, policy making and building of infrastructure. What's important to remember about environmental justice is I think people, when they hear environmental justice, they think climate justice. Yes, that is part of it. But I think the extra layer that environmental justice adds is really it being people centered Mm -hmm. and it being centered around economic and racial justice specifically. Because what we find in places like East Portland, which is a great example of being an environmental justice community, is that it is not only extra burdened Mm -hmm. by the effects of climate change, whether that be increase of heat islands because of lack of tree canopy, whether that be just the way that um, various shifts in our weather affect um, our ability to be climate resilient. We all know we saw the ice storm uh, last week or two weeks ago, and that really just uh, reminded us how unprepared we are to deal with a climate future that is uncertain, and many of our communities don't have the infrastructure needed. And um, then you loop it back to why do certain communities not have those resources? And it's racially driven in a lot of ways. You know, we don't, we choose not to invest in communities of color. We choose to not invest in low income communities. And therefore they are lacking in, you know, whether it be basic, as basic as parks and green spaces, but then, you know, sidewalks, Mm -hmm. access to public transportation, lack of tree canopy, um, you know, uh, really burdened by air quality issues due to industry that gets built next to low-income housing, Mm -hmm. right? So wealthy people are able to escape the realities of these burdens. Mm -hmm. And so East Portland is a great example of a community that has for decades been disinvested in as communities have gotten pushed out further, further east due to affordability issues and just lack of opportunities available to them in the inner east side, in the west side. And so, you know, environmental justice is about bridging that economic and racial justice gap while also 
addressing like how are we making policy changes to prepare ourselves for the worst of climate change? How do we ensure that the you know environmental wealth is also about political wealth? Um, because so often these uh, communities that are burdened by climate change issues are not at the decision making tables, their experiences are not valued, and they're not seen as the experts that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, we often, you know, choose to look towards, you know, the wonkier type of institutions that maybe they have good data, and that's great on paper. But that doesn't compare to the lived experience of a mother who has to observe their children acquiring horrible cases of asthma due to trying to just to play outside. Mm-hmm. And they're inhaling all of these different chemicals and, and air quality issues that are affecting their long term health. Mm-hmm. We know that your zip code is a determinant of your life expectancy due to these environmental injustices. And so, you know, this is what East Portland being able to have representatives in city hall as we make decisions for where these critical dollars go that is going to be a big difference to say that we have these city councilors sure that are technically representing people but hopefully and ideally at least for the way i'm approaching my leadership is that i'm bringing those communities into city hall with me and making sure that they know that they have a place there and that their voices are going to affect the policy decisions that we make especially on a legislative council that's going to be able to build a more policy agenda that's holistic, not just for the district, but then how that shows up in the entire city. I'm going to do some up twinkles. Nobody can see that on the uh, <laughs> radio, but yeah, uh, thank you for, for that answer. I yeah. love the jazz hands. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like an Occupy Portland thing that oh. instead of clapping or screaming, you up twinkle. We did up twinkle for support, then up twinkle rainbow for big support. Okay. So I should have done a, Thank you. Yeah, that's that's useful on on a podcast. Uh, Tim, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned parks, and I know that you're on a quest to visit all of Portland's 200 (laughs) parks. Yes. Um, uh, Tell me about you know what you found, and I uh, from what I understand, the east side is lacking in comparison to the rest of the city in terms of park space. Is there are there opportunities for for new parks that you see? Yeah. Well, so yeah, so for those that don't know, I decided last summer to embark on a very ambitious quest to uh, visit all of Portland's parks. Let me say, when I decided that I was going to do that, I didn't look up how many parks there were. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, 200 plus parks. Okay, I'm really going to have to schedule this out. Um, (laughs) And so, uh, you know, partially I did it because it was summertime and I was like, I just need to get out there. I want to touch grass. You know, I need to get away from my computer. And I know that we are a city that um, we are blessed to have lots of different green spaces. And, um, you know, I wanted to just appreciate that. I also play kickball. And so I play in a lot of Portland's parks in the summer. Um, So that was one reason. But I think another reason is connected to my work of environmental justice. For those that don't know, one of Verde's um, ultimate achievements was the creation of Cully Park. And so, you know, our work is predominantly in the Cully neighborhood. I like to say that Cully is a place that we do our work, but also a symbol of our work across not Mm. only the rest of Portland, but across the state. And, um, Kali uh, it was a neighborhood that had much less um, parks compared mm-hmm. to other neighborhoods, you know. And so Kali Park, the journey to bringing Kali Park, which was a former landfill, imagine this giant landfill, just a waste of space and creating harm really in the community has been transformed into this beautiful park with this playground that was designed by the neighborhood's children with soccer fields. And I, there's like a Kali Park part two. We're trying to get some basketball fields in there. It has a community garden. It has ritual space for our Native American communities. That park is just really emblematic of what we want to see across our city and make sure that everyone has access to, to a rich asset like a park. And also uh, part of our work in Cully is to ensure that when we add these assets, that doesn't displace people. Because often what we see is it's like, oh, you're adding this beautiful park and you're enriching a neighborhood. Well, let's build housing that only rich people can afford mm-hmm. and then they can a- enjoy that instead of who it was intended for, which are these communities that were deprived of those resources. And so, um, you know, in my journey going around to the different parks, I think what I, you know, originally I was like, I didn't have a real goal as like what I'm looking for exactly. I was like, let me just observe. Um, But as time has gone on, I feel like what I'm looking towards is like, 
what's what are the amenities in all of these parks? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of like green spaces in East Portland, but they're just bare. You know, they don't have parks, they don't have playgrounds, they don't have all these other like rich amenities, like the water, you know, play areas for like a hot day or a dog park or community garden. And so um, I've been observing that as I'm going around, because definitely you compare like a Laurelhurst Park compared to, uh, uh, you know, I live in the Mill Park neighborhood. And so the first park I went to was Mill Park. um, So I could check it out. It's next to the little elementary school. But I mean, it's great. It's grass, you know. I mean, we (laughs) love grass and it's nice to have a place to lounge on a nice hot day, but doesn't really have as many trees as it could. So that shade equity is an issue and it's just underdeveloped. And there's actually a sign on the one of the fences near it that's like Portland Park. So, you know, this is on the list to like try to enhance. But I think ultimately it's about how do we make sure that we're equitably enhancing these Mm -hmm. parks across because, you know, it's also about who we're prioritizing, which parks are we prioritizing and in which neighborhoods. Um, And East Portland gets deprived of that priority often. Um, Another thing that I've been looking for is just like what kind of housing is near those parks? Because I think that also tells a different story, whether you have like, you know, it's a bunch of single family homes that are in the like 500 to 750 K range in price versus affordable housing and apartments and and the difference in the amenities in those parks in those different kinds of neighborhoods so those are the little things i'm keeping an eye on i'm actually also working on um eventually making like a little booklet that i would love to have um oh cool to distribute um the goal is that i could like put in this booklet some of the pictures that i have taken and then everyone could go on their own journey um because I think it does, you know, it's important. Of course, we want people to get out. We want them to experience um, their city. And I think it's just really eye-opening to see, like, where is the city prioritizing investments? Yeah. So that's the story that I want to tell, in addition to the joy of just, again, touching grass. <laughs> Very cool. I got a follow-up to that. So recently you posted a picture of being in Mills End, mm. which I think is officially the smallest park mm-hmm. in, in, in the country. Will you be visiting and or recognizing Mills End too? What do you mean? Oh, like what do you mean recognizing? Well, so it's not a it's not an official Portland Park. Mills End Two is in. Oh, Mills End Two, like number two. Yeah, number two. Sorry. Okay. Are you familiar? No, I guess not. No. It is right before you get to Montevilla up Burnside and where things converge. Somebody put up a little sign. I think four maybe five years ago said mills and two put a little sword in a stone statue and a tiny little dollhouse <laughs> and some other weird shit and um i drove pa- i used to live close by i don't any longer but i drove past it i think it was a month ago and it was still there huh and i'm like okay well um maybe <laughs> maybe it could be f- officially codified but I'll, I'll send you information that's so funny so, <laughs> so it's just like somebody just decided to make like their own makeshift park <laughs> yeah yeah on, on this tiny little triangle of concrete oh really right, you know oh funny it's it, anyway it, it's 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 one of it's a very portland thing it is right um, i mean having the smallest park in general is a very portland thing absolutely you know? so like you know cliche and cute Let's get into one of my pet things, the Police Accountability Commission, the phenomenal work you did. I was leading the Citizen Review Committee. Citizen Review Committee, CRC, right. I'm I'm curious, and, and I know this is a charged conversation, but a lot of the work that was done on charter reform, which I also do want to talk to, and the Citizen Review Committee and the Police Accountability Committee were open processes. In other words, they were over one, two, three-year periods, both of them, I think, somewhere in there. Public meetings, people could come, give input. The recommendations that came from them were a public process. And what we found in the PAC part of it is that even though there was this long process and informed consent from the community and everything else, when it went in front of city council, the current city council, they neutered a lot of it. They just dropped things. They changed things that were already considered. Where's your mindset on having all this work going in and then having 
elected leaders who ignore or, or reverse. Mm-hmm. And, and we can dovetail into the charter reform stuff too, if you'd like to, because that happened as well. I'll give one more data point on charter reform. Joanne Hardesty showed up to every meeting I was at and, and leaned in and gave her opinions. And um, I, I was really impressed. I got goosebumps if we're going to get really weird about it. But <laughs> I, was, I loved the process, right? That, that it wasn't just a bunch of people deciding what was going to happen. It was truly community input and uh, community driven. And all the elected officials could have participated as well and chose not to, mm-hmm. and then just sit in a bully pulpit and say, yeah, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And, and I really want your perspective on that, both from a process standpoint, but also a personal standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Lots to unpack there. Yeah, I'm um, so sorry. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to draw out a couple of themes of what I'm hearing, and I'm also going to give a little more context as it relates to the police accountability measure, because I think it's important. Please. So, you know, so the Citizen Review Committee, which is what I was on for six years and I chaired, um, is a uh, appeals board, essentially, for police misconduct cases. And so if you uh, put in a complaint, it'll go through goes through a bunch of different twists and turns until um, the way that it gets to the CRC is if after a final decision is made, um, that you feel you the appellant feel that that was not enough, and you want to appeal it. And then you appeal it to a citizen board, which is the CRC. And so that is, you know, one piece of the larger police accountability system. But it's, in my opinion, the most important piece because it's related directly to dealing with these misconduct cases. Mm-hmm. The measure that Joanne Hardesty championed in 2020. So as we all know, 2020, there was a huge uprising in um, the issue of police accountability as we all watched George Floyd get murdered. That George Floyd story was not new. But it was fueled by so many different things that were able to propel it in a meaningful way. And, you know, Joanne Hardesty, being a champion of police accountability issues for decades, um, saw that there was a unique opportunity to really finally push forward some changes to be able to hold Portland police accountable for their actions. And so that measure that passed in 2020 by 82 percent of Portland voters really just reflected what it actually was, was a charter change. And so it embedded in our city's constitution, some critical changes around how we deal with police accountability, more specifically things like one, how much it gets funded, because we we often underfund the things that we don't actually want to do. Right. Um, and so it really solidified its funding so we could make sure it happened. Um, and it just made sure that there were more citizen involvement and oversight in managing police and really pushing the city to hold them accountable. And so then what came out of that measure getting passed by voters was the Police Accountability Commission. And so I decided to stay on the CRC side, which essentially is kind of the old system, if you will. And what the PAC worked on for a couple years is developing the new system. Because the charter, you know, you don't put like the details, the nitty gritty details into your constitution. That's where the city code happens. Mm -hmm. And so that's what that commission was working on that you're describing. For two years, they have to actually write in the correct code that would reflect the intentions put into the charter by the voters. And so what you're describing when it came to the city council, essentially they had, you know, 60 some pages worth of code and recommendations and they had gone through this whole process it was community involved it was expert led right and it had best practices and all of that and again met the moment of what the community said they wanted from police accountability and then it goes to a council that frankly is really hostile towards holding the police accountable and so yeah they gutted it they gutted a lot of the key provisions you know and they try to hide under well the lawyers say this or that And, you know, there was actually a lot of work in the in-between, too. That commission that helped pass that measure in Portland helped pass some state legislation to help enable us to be able to implement it. So there was it was more than just that Portland measure, Mm. like because there's like state level code that needed to be addressed because you've got union bargaining issues. Right. right? It's super complex, but it's doable. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the city council, in a lot of ways, they were hiding a bit behind the, the lawyers to be like, well, we can't do this thing. Right. And, you know, they just had their own political motivations. But 
what you're describing and it's what you were also saying we saw when, you know, Commissioner Ryan and uh, Gonzalez tried to revert some of the key things of the charter reform. We also have been seeing an attack on the Portland Clean Energy Fund. I would consider that being in the same vein mm, of like yeah, absolutely. community voted for things that people say we want our resources to be allocated in this way. We want people to be held accountable in this way. And counselors who have other interests um, just wanting to disregard what the people ask for. Mm -hmm. And so I think ultimately what you're describing here is like, how are we making sure that when people put in their precious time, energy, resources, you know, their heart into not only being on these commissions, which, as you know, uh, Mm -hmm. are very time consuming and you don't get paid for it. And it's exhausting, I know, because I've been on a million of them and I'm so tired. (laughs) I feel like they aged me like a decade. (laughs) Uh, I'm seeing the gray hairs coming out every time I go in the mirror and I'm like, yep, that's that commission meeting, you know. (laughs) Um, You know, those are really valuable things in our community. And when you break their trust in that way, it's hard to repair that. And those are the things that contribute to people's mistrust of government, which is the cycle right mm-hmm. because if you mistrust government then you don't want to invest in what they're doing and then you have people who can manipulate that and say well the people just want me to do what i want to do because i'm the elected i have power and it's like yeah the people asked you what they wanted and you disregarded them and you know there's only so much people can put their energy and commit to fighting that right um I've, I've seen yeah. so many people over the years who they just they give it their all and they get burnt out because they're like, you're just butting up against a wall of power that does not want to be changed. And, you know, that's the entire point of having our community being involved is like they represent us, but they don't. And so I think what you're describing and what we're hoping that this change in city government will do, not only everything I've described around like having more people represented, having it neighborhood based, it's also about how we elect those people and who gets to elect those people. Because it's not just the community members, it's special interests, it's wealthy donors, mm-hmm. it's business interests who have a specific agenda for the city. And therefore, they are trying to get their people who will be their champions, not the people's champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. so... I think that's what that experience was really demonstrating. And yeah, it's it's exhausting when um, you rally all these people and they put in all their time and then they just they get met not even with a good explanation. That's the other thing, too. It's not like it'd be one thing to have an honest conversation and say, look, I want to do this thing that you're asking. Here are the restraints. Here's why. Like, let's solve the problem. Let's get to the intent. I hear what the intent is. And maybe the details aren't exactly, they can't be done that way. That's the job of the elected, Mm -hmm. right? Is to like give you the full picture and give you a chance to be a part of the solution, not say that they know better and not just like, again, just be like, no, the answer is no, just because no. And it's like, why? (laughs) You know, why we put in all this time? And it's not like, again, it's not just like, you know, when I say putting in time, it's like research, it's talking with experts, it's looking at best practices, it's also hearing the community experience and translating that into policy. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is what is so frustrating <laughs> with the city. And uh, the way that it's structured, it allows them to get away with that. It allows them to disregard the community's voice. And so I'm hoping that, you know, now with this new form of government, not only will you have your representatives in your backyard, Um, you'll have much closer of a connection to them, but also they're going to be more policy driven. Mm -hmm. And so they can, that, that is where the community's voice is most important. At the end of the day, the community doesn't care too much about the details. They care about the outcomes. And that's what policy and legislating is about, um, helping to translate, you know, the outcomes into, into those little details. So I'm hoping that that will allow for a more, um, collaborative spirit between community and elected, but you know, this is politics at the end of the day. And so some of the things that we see, like, you know, sometimes like I get frustrated, like there's all this drama around Portland street response, for example. And logically I'm like, why it's a win. It's effective. Mm. You know, the people want it. And it's like, the answer is like simply just politics. Yep. Simply, yep. they're just answering to someone that's behind a door that we don't know who they're answering to, but it's not us. And so I'm hoping that shifts. Well, let's let's dig into that for a minute, because I, I wanted to ask you, who who is behind that door? You know, we don't necessarily have to get specific, but I think people all feel like the city is not responding to us mm-hmm. and is responding to forces of big business of some sort. Uh, you know, what are the forces at play in in Portland that we're not seeing? Yeah. 
You know, I think that the forces at play are people who think that they have the right outcomes or they think they have the right answers, I guess. But those answers are just really short-sighted. And I think that's the issue is like, we all agree we want a safe city. Let's just start there, right? Mm -hmm. We agree that we want to be able to walk down our street and feel safe. We want to make sure that our families are secure. We want to feel in community with each other and, and know our neighbors so that we're not afraid of them. Those are very standard things that anyone across any political ideology can agree to. But how what how we define safety is where you see the different political players, right? For some people, safety is just you just don't see it right? It's just mm -hmm. swept under the rug. I don't care what happens to that person, just get them out of my sight. Whereas for me, I define safety as everyone has what they need. And because they have what they need, they are a part of our community and we're safe together. So I think there's these these different people <laughs> where I see the jazz hands going, or what do they call them? The spirit fingers? Uh, twinkles. Twinkles, twinkle, yeah. twinkle fingers. Um, because I think ultimately those the people behind those closed doors, they just they say that they want solutions, but they want quick solutions that will get them back to like, how do I make sure that my bottom line is fed, mm. not that my community is nurtured. And mm. so those are the, the forces at play. And, and again, I think that like. I've been in a couple spaces, I'm sure you know, and I, I heard you on a different podcast talking about the governor's task force, which I'm happy to talk about, um, which was a really interesting space to be in. I definitely was outnumbered as far as like my perspective compared to other people in the room. But what I feel like I learned in that space is there is some in good intent here and like you're just manifesting it in the worst possible way, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, how do I just like shake you up and be like, no, like you, I know what you want, you don't, what you think you want is not what you're asking for mm. and yep. so yep. um i think that there's like a narrative challenge that comes with that we see all the you know the billboards that people for portland puts up they're clearly trying to shift the narrative to respond to their solutions and that's why i've been a part of like the the portland for all effort because in a vacuum mm -hmm. where you know i think that's what we're struggling with is a vacuum of people saying yes we can solve this problem and we can do it in a way that's progressive and that meets the needs of community not just in a transactional, like, let's just brush it under the rug kind of way, which is what some of those forces behind closed doors right. are looking for. Or a punitive way. Or a punitive, archaic, draconian way. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the task force. And I don't know if you guys all signed an NDA or something. Or, <laughs> no. you know, or Tina's people are going to knock on your door. And like, Candace, we told you not to talk. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tina... I, I voted for you. I support you. Um, you can do a little bit better. <laughs> I keep saying that. It's never going to work out well for me. Um, <laughs> the most frustrating thing, and if you've listened to me talk about that on this podcast, is the the focus on, on downtown out 20 blocks in any direction. Mm -hmm. and And seemingly no consideration for anything beyond that. Am I assessing that or is that is my understanding correct? So, so yeah. So, you know, the, the task force was called the Downtown Portland Task Force. And so obviously the function was on downtown. And I, when I was asked to join it and was explained like what the, what the focus was and who was going to be there. I was like, I don't know <laughs> this is the space for me. But I decided to be there because I was like, if I'm not there, who else is going to sure. be there? Um, and so I went into it with hesitation, but with an eagerness to just see where people were coming from and yeah. understand what is it about the downtown that's so vital to the economic prosperity of our region. It, it was very business heavy. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of the people in that room were representing downtown business interests. And, you know, I, I just want to be clear. I'm not anti-business. Right. Business is a critical part of our economy. Uh, you know, I was mentioning earlier uh, before we got on, on the podcast that I now, um, where I live in my neighborhood in East Portland, I see thriving small businesses from immigrant and refugee mm -hmm. families. And that is how they're making their way. That's how they're making their American dream come true. And that's important. So I don't want us to like see business as a dirty word, but I think we need to hold businesses accountable who are taking up all of the lobbying air, mm -hmm. all of the, you know, like the they're using their political sway to move our decision makers towards what they want only. And they don't they don't want all the things that we want. 
at the end of the day. And so, because they're just not connected to the issues, you know, and, and business, like at the end of the day, business, like they need to make sure their bottom line is met. And so it's like, we can have that. We can have a thriving economic center in downtown Portland while making sure that it is truly a thriving economic center in that people can afford to live in downtown Mm -hmm. Portland where you have these amenities and where people, small businesses can have incubator spaces so they can grow their businesses, not just have these monopolies, right? I was not satisfied with the recommendations that came out of it, but before the recommendations came out, you know, I was really straight up with the committee and with the governor of saying, look, I want to be on the team, right? Like I'm a team player. I'm not going to show up and just, you know, whine about something and not offer solutions. I'm Mm -hmm. always going to come here with solutions and we might not come down to agreeing on them, but I, you know, that I came in good faith and that I'm bringing my community's perspective with me. And so that's how I tried to, that's how I approached being on that committee. At the end of the day, I think there were, were there some preset outcomes? Sure. Right. Because it's politics, you know, like we can't be naive to the fact that there was very, a very specific intent that was trying to come out of that. But I do think what the benefit that I saw in that space is the relationships that were built there. I've made some, you know, I was in a group of unlikely friends, right? (laughs) And it's not like we're besties, but now I can see some of these people and be like, look, I heard you. I understood where you were coming from. And again, we all want a Portland that's thriving and where everyone can succeed. That does not mean adding a thousand more cops. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, which was a lot of what some of the folks wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the relationships and our ability to build that camaraderie so that we can work towards, you know, and and another thing, let me just a quick aside that I felt. And I don't know if you saw the news stories about this when we went to the Oregon Business Conference, whatever that was called, to present the the recommendations. And uh, it made the news because Mayor Wheeler said something like, all that money you all are spending to like crap on our city, you could be investing in our city. Mm-hmm. And he's not wrong. And I will say that spirit was definitely felt on the task force. And mm. we were challenging each other. It's like, okay, we're all here to like make Portland better, but who in this room is mm-hmm. giving money to people for Portland to revitalize Portland, right? right to just like secret do this like horrible like bashing campaign on our city. And so I thought that was really interesting to see that dynamic, like business people confronting other business people being like, you are putting money into like crapping on our city, stop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I found that very like entertaining because <laughs> I'm not, you know, I was like watching it from the outside, <laughs> right. but I was like, good. Like we need yeah. to be challenging no, each other. That's the right thing to say. Yeah. yeah. Like if yeah. you really mean it, then like stop paying for billboards that just like talk bad about our city and start putting that money into making it better. Right. It was a downtown Portland task force. The thing I found most frustrating was not only the uh, firewall from basically any understanding of what was happening or who was involved directly or anything else, but also the idea that not addressing the rest of Portland and how they interact with downtown, how they can support. Mm -hmm. If people who are out, you know, 122nd or so, if it takes them an hour to get to downtown Mm -hmm. and the only thing sitting there for them is you know boutique restaurants uh ritz carlton and Mm -hmm. dispersed food carts they have no reason to come to downtown um and and i was really hoping there was some awareness that how downtown thrives is largely dependent on the rest of portland Mm -hmm. and i feel like the outcome of that effort ignored pretty much all of that. Mm-hmm. And and that was my biggest frustration. And I am sure you were advocating, mm-hmm. um, but, but if there's only one or two voices doing so in a group of 40, 42, something like that, mm-hmm. then I'm really disappointed in, in our governor. I feel since Mayor Wheeler has decided not to rerun, he's done a lot of cool things that were opinions that I didn't think he would have hold, held before, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But not hearing that advocacy was yeah. was super disappointing. Your website, which has some great policy intentions on it, addresses a lot of these things. Maybe that's a good segue into 
um, some of the things you're campaigning on because yeah. we've talked a lot about everything you've been involved in pre yeah. this campaign and we should focus also on your campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying is definitely a sentiment <clears throat> I share. And um, again, it, it, there was a very clear intention for what that space was going to create at the end of the day. Sure. Um, but I, there were, there was definitely more people than just me in that space advocating for kind of the vision that you're describing. And um, ultimately, I do think that there are some connections that some people are making, but that wasn't exactly the right space <laughs> for mm. the people to like, to make those connections. But I, I don't think we are a city that is lacking in those voices. It's just about getting them into those positions to, to say them at the right tables. Cool. And that's a lot of what this change in government and change in leadership will hopefully bring. Awesome. Yeah, as Kate mentioned, I've been looking at your website too. Your priorities is really interesting. Um, you know, we've been talking to so many of the candidates and a lot of people supporting empathetic approaches to solving the homeless situation, addiction, all that. So as I'm going through your priorities, what pops out are the things that are somewhat unusual and different. One of the things that struck me was uh, apprenticeships and a, and a mention mm. of apprenticeships as something that uh, that you're passionate about and interested in encouraging. Can you tell me a little bit about like, where's that coming from for you and, and, and what what's your passion behind that? Yeah. Yeah, and I think a, a little bit of where that's coming from is from my work working with young people, right? And just how we can help connect them into the careers and the futures that will that our community needs, right? Our society needs is one angle that I think I'm approaching it from. I think another angle is from my work in environmental justice and what the growing green economy looks like and how we grow the green workforce. And there's so many opportunities for communities to get into that, but they need pathways, better pathways into it. So I think ultimately the spirit that I'm getting at with my vision for apprenticeship is how are we building better, you know, mm. paths and roads into job opportunities and how do those job opportunities then help enrich our communities and allow them to have good living wages where they can live in the communities that they work in? Because that's another big part of my platform. And yes, my my website has my, my general values, but I have lots and lots of specific details that aren't on the website yet. Um, but I think some of that just kind of gets into like keeping people in Portland. I know that so, sounds so simple, but you know, mm -hmm. how are we building a, a workforce and a, an economy where folks um, can live, work, play in yeah. Portland um, and just reducing displacement. And that's a lot of the issues we work in at Verde, work with at Verde. Um, and so ultimately, you know, I just, where what's the city's role in that? Um, whether that be when we're, you know, we're obviously having these big discussions around how much more housing we need to build. And as we're making those decisions, you know, how are we ensuring that we have good union jobs that are working on that housing, that we're mm -hmm. contracting with good partners that are providing living wages to their employees, Absolutely. that we're creating jobs, that um, people, um, that we have ways that they can enter these industries that could be really lucrative, but there aren't clear paths, you know, like what, like what is a high school student, they you leave high school, they're out in the real world, what options are there for them that aren't just college. Um, and I have lots of opinions about college as somebody who worked in higher education for a decade and um, have astronomical student debt like all other millennials do. And, you know, college is not bad. And I think it's a, an important part of uh, a person's journey and, and uh, an option that they should have a more affordable option to. And also there's more than just college um, mm -hmm. for a path for somebody to have a successful uh, life where they can have a good wage and raise a family. Um, and so I think the city does play a role in how we're creating those kinds of jobs. And a lot of it is like, we need to be better about what partnerships we make. Mm -hmm. How are we creating jobs in-house instead of just exporting everything? I think there's lots of decisions we can make to ensure that um, we're, we're creating that from the inside out. Um, and so that's that's kind of the spirit, but really just like, how are we making sure that, um, and it's not just young people. Uh, I think there's people that are career shifters, like that, you know, they're maybe hitting a dead end in their career. Like they should have an easy way to say, hey, I could do this apprenticeship to learn this trade, or I could do this internship in the city if I wanna get into policy and government. Um, one of my platform points last time was around like some more stronger internships. I'm biased because I ran an internship uh, <laughs> at PSU. Um, 
but I, it was so i saw how fruitful it was sure. to give people it's like if you just everyone is a seed and they just need some fertilizer and some water and i think the city is in a good place to give that water to those seeds and then it can blossom into good you know good jobs for people and to just better relationships and partnerships with the city and the community so that's kind of the spirit of that platform point Sure. Yeah. My son is adopted, grew up in foster care in South LA. Mm. His girlfriend in Inglewood came to meet us and um, we asked her, you know, what she wanted to do with her life, you know, standard white parent question. (laughs) (laughs) And and she said, I want to work at an oil refinery. Mm. And I was like, why would you, where did that come from? And it's like the only person she knew in her life that was successful was this one uncle who worked at an oil refinery. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just said volumes about exposure, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you don't know what jobs are out there, mm-hmm. if you aren't given opportunities like internships, if you're not shown, those of us who live in privilege just take that for granted because we do know lots of people in all kinds of different uh, positions. Mm-hmm. 100%. No, I, to add to that a little bit, the little bit of experience I had on the inside of the city is involved in a conversation with a bunch of small construction companies that were part of, uh, I think, two pilots uh, Portland did in 2015, advocating for a more inclusive community benefit agreement. In other words, rather than contracting the huge construction people who you see always on, on the cranes and the everything else but a smaller um, uh, 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 diverse run companies and and the city has a huge opportunity to influence how city money is spent and how it's invested as well as opening up doors to young people so I really really appreciate that perspective. I'll, the only thing I'll add to that is that's a big part of um, Verde Builds' mission. It's our social enterprise and it's about building capacity in minority and women-owned contracting <clears throat> businesses because what you're describing is that, yeah, the people that get the contracts are the ones who have always gotten the contracts and so they have shovel-ready projects. They're able to scale up to the needs of the city and then we just further and further disinvest from these smaller companies that could add a lot of value not only in diversity as one way but also in different types of expertise and in different entry points into the industry Mm -hmm. um, that people have through their family you know businesses their carpenters and you know they but they are not able to get like the contracts that can build their business and and do apprenticeships and and, and the things that will grow their business exactly yeah yeah so that's a big part i think is a why I have that lens because we're doing a lot of that work you know um, Kelly Park that I mentioned that we built we built that with over 70% minority women owned contractors Mm. and that was really important to us because that helped build their businesses whether that was different landscaping businesses things like that so yeah I I, again think the city has an important role there and we can make better decisions to scale up um, our community in those ways Absolutely. Well, Candice, thank you so much for your time. As a a wrap-up final question here, we've heard a lot. You've worked on so many committees. You're fighting the good fight. Uh, You ran for city council in 2020. How do you keep the energy up and (laughs) and the passion to to keep going. Mm-hmm. And on part of that, also, like, what did you learn from that last, that experience of running for city council? And how are you not terribly cynical? Or, <laughs> or maybe you're just hiding it really well. You know, um, there I have my days for sure. And the grind is hard. And, and I think I can appreciate the fact that progress has its setbacks and its wins. And I think that perspective is what keeps me engaged. Mm. Um, You know, I obviously recognize I have a lot of privilege to be able to engage in certain spaces. I I do not have children that I have to care for. You know, I don't have, um, you know, elderly family members that I'm caring for. Like those are some just some examples of restrictions that people have to fully engage in the democratic process Mm -hmm. like I have. And so I think because of that, I take my responsibility to be involved more seriously Mm -hmm. because I know that my communities can't always engage 
she, you know, I know my mom when I was growing up, she absolutely couldn't be a part of that. She was mm-hmm. a single mother raising the three of us. And so I think about all of the people that I are in my network that I know can't be at the table. And so it's so important for me to be there for them. Um, and so I, I think that's a lot of what keeps me going. And also, frankly, just like we have had a lot of wins and that's so important to celebrate. And those wins, like when I'm having a frustrating time, when, you know, Commissioner Gonzalez does something else to like backtrack <laughs> all of our wins, like I, I fuel myself by thinking about like, no, actually we can make change if we're persistent, if we show up and we pay attention. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I get invested in um continuing my energy up and I'm also human (laughs) and I get tired sometimes. And, you know, I had like a good three week, uh, staycation over winter and I was really unplugged you know people are like oh do you want to meet to talk about campaign I was like no like I really just want to play on my Nintendo Switch and hang out with Valentino and eat junk food so like please leave me alone for like three weeks you know I'll be back for the other 49 weeks um (laughs) so it's important too to um as we we know the quote rest is resistance and um it's super important that i find ways to fuel myself and i really care about like my friendships and i love that my friends are also like my political friends and we can like we'll have a an hour-long like deep policy discussion like how are we going to defend this policy and then we'll go karaoke you know (laughs) (laughs) so i just think that that balance is not always easily achievable but is critical and and again i i feel fueled by um seeing that uh when we continue to show up we do make change Mm. all right yep no great answer. yeah yeah tell us how yes. people can find you and and interact and support valentino <laughs> yeah so you know it's 2024 it's go time the election is this november um i'm already looking for um folks to help me start knocking on doors mm-hmm. in the coming weeks um and you know i think east portland is a neighborhood that they're not used to having their doors knocked on mm-hmm. that's another thing um that will really change uh the politics out in east portland and so i'm really looking forward to um getting people on the doors just to like see how they're feeling how are they feeling about these changes and how are they feeling about like having representation so go to my website candaceforportland.com follow all of my social medias they're all at candace for pdx and um, i've already got you know a couple dozen folks on my volunteer list and i would love a couple dozen more um of course uh, i'm also participating in the small donor elections program i just recently have my uh, first tier qualification which is exciting um and i need to continue to raise money so that I can get my people-powered message out there. So please donate on my website, follow my social media, and I'll see you out on the streets. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Progress Portland is also on Facebook and Instagram, and we have event listings and updates on our website, progressportland.org. There's a content form on our website if you'd like to help out or have questions or comments. Our theme music is by the Portland band Helvetia.